Chapter fourteen of El Dorado by Baroness Orzy. Read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in July two thousand and seven. Chapter fourteen. The Chief. He had not actually fainted, but the exertion of that long run had rendered him partially unconscious. He knew now that he was safe, that he was sitting in Blakeney's room, and that something hot and vivifying was being poured down his throat. Percy, they have arrested her he said, panting, as soon as speech returned to his paralysed tongue. "'All right. Don't talk now. Wait till you are better.' With infinite care and gentleness, Blakeney arranged some cushions around Armand's head, turned the sofa towards the fire, and anon brought his friend a cup of hot coffee, which the latter drank with avidity. He was really too exhausted to speak. He had contrived to tell Blakeney, and now Blakeney knew, so everything would be all right. The inevitable reaction was asserting itself. The muscles had relaxed, the nerves were numbed, and Armand lay back on the sofa, with eyes half-closed, unable to move, yet feeling his strength gradually returning to him, his vitality asserting itself, all the feverish excitement of the past twenty-four hours, yielding at last to a calmer mood. Through his half-closed eyes he could see his brother-in-law moving about the room. Blakeney was fully dressed. In a sleepy kind of way Armand wondered if he had been to bed at all. Certainly his clothes set on him with their usual well-tailored perfection, and there was no suggestion in his brisk step and alert movements that he had passed a sleepless night. Now he was standing by the open window. Armand, from where he lay, could see his broad shoulders sharply outlined against the grey background of the hazy winter dawn. A wan light was just creeping up from the east over the city. The noises of the streets below came distinctly to Armand's ear. He roused himself with one vigorous effort from his lethargy, feeling quite ashamed of himself and of this breakdown of his nervous system. He looked with frank admiration on Sir Percy, who stood immovable and silent by the window, a perfect tower of strength, serene and impassive, yet kindly in distress. "'Percy,' said the young man, "'I ran all the way from the top of the Rue Saint-Honoré. I was only breathless. I am quite all right. May I tell you all about it?' Without a word, Blakeney closed the window and came across to the sofa. He sat down beside Armand, and to all outward appearances he was nothing now but a kind and sympathetic listener to a friend's tale of woe. Not a line in his face or a look in his eyes betrayed the thoughts of the leader who had been thwarted at the outset of a dangerous enterprise, or of the man accustomed to command who had been so flagrantly disobeyed. Armand, unconscious of all save of Jeanne and of her immediate need, put an eager hand on Percy's arm. Heron and his hellhounds went back to our lodgings last night, he said, speaking as if he was still a little out of breath. They hoped to get me, no doubt. Not finding me there, they took her. Oh, my God! It was the first time that he had put the whole terrible circumstance into words, and it seemed to gain in reality by the recounting. The agony of mind which he endured was almost unbearable. He hid his face in his hands, lest Percy should see how terribly he suffered. I knew that, said Blakeney quietly. Armand looked up in surprise. "'How? When did you know it?' he stammered. "'Last night, when you left me. I went down to the Square du Roule. I arrived there just too late.' "'Percy!' exclaimed Armand, whose pale face had suddenly flushed scarlet. "'You did that? Last night you—' "'Of course,' interposed the other calmly. "'Had I not promised you to keep watch over her?' "'When I heard the news, it was already too late to make further inquiries. But when you arrived just now, I was on the point of starting out, in order to find out in what prison Mademoiselle Lange is being detained. I shall have to go soon, Armand, before the guard is changed at the temple and the Tuileries. This is the safest time, and God knows we are all of us sufficiently compromised already.' 
The flush of shame deepened in St. Just's cheek. There had not been a hint of reproach in the voice of his chief, and the eyes which regarded him now from beneath the half-closed lids showed nothing but lazy bonhomie. In a moment now Armand realized all the harm which his recklessness had done, was still doing to the work of the League. Every one of his actions since his arrival in Paris two days ago had jeopardized a plan or endangered a life. His friendship with de Batz, his connection with Mademoiselle Lange, his visit to her yesterday afternoon, the repetition of it this morning, culminating in that wild run through the streets of Paris, when at any moment a spy lurking round a corner might either have barred his way, or worse still, have followed him to Blakeney's door. Armand, without a thought of any one save of his beloved, might easily this morning have brought an agent of the Committee of General Security face to face with his chief. Percy, he murmured, can you ever forgive me? Pshaw, man, retorted Blakeney lightly, there is naught to forgive only a great deal that should no longer be forgotten. Your duty to the others, for instance, your obedience, and your honour. I was mad, Percy. Oh, if you only could understand what she means to me!" Blakeney laughed, his own light-hearted, careless laugh, which so often before now had helped to hide what he really felt from the eyes of the indifferent, and even from those of his friends. "'No, no,' he said lightly. "'We agreed last night, did we not, that in matters of sentiment I am a cold-blooded fish?' But will you at any rate concede that I am a man of my word? Did I not pledge it last night that Mademoiselle Lange would be safe? I foresaw her arrest the moment I heard your story. I hoped that I might reach her before that brute Heron's return. Unfortunately, he forestalled me by less than half an hour. Mademoiselle Lange has been arrested, Armand. But why should you not trust me on that account? Have we not succeeded, I and the others, in worse cases than this one? They mean no harm to Jeanne Lange, he added emphatically. I give you my word on that. They only want her as a decoy. It is you they want. You through her, and me through you. I pledge you my honour that she will be safe. You must try and trust me, Armand. It is much to ask, I know, for you will have to trust me with what is most precious in the world to you, and you will have to obey me blindly, or I shall not be able to keep my word. What do you wish me to do? Firstly, you must be outside Paris within the hour. Every minute that you spend inside the city now is full of danger. Oh, no, not for you," added Blakeney, checking with a good-humoured gesture Armand's words of protestation. Danger for the others, and for our scheme to-morrow. How can I go to Saint-Germain, Percy, knowing that she— Is under my charge? interposed the other calmly. That should not be so very difficult. Come, he added, placing a kindly hand on the other's shoulder. You shall not find me such an inhuman monster, after all. But I must think of the others, you see, and of the child whom I have sworn to save. But I won't send you as far as Saint-Germain. Go down to the room below, and find a good bundle of rough clothes that will serve you as a disguise, for I imagine that you have lost those which you had on the landing, or the stairs of the house in the Square du Roule. In a tin box with the clothes downstairs, you will find the packet of miscellaneous certificates of safety. Take an appropriate one, and then start out immediately for Villette. You understand? Yes, yes, said Armand eagerly. You want me to join folks and Tony? Yes. You'll find them probably unloading coal by the canal. Try and get private speech with them as early as may be, and tell Tony to set out at once for Saint-Germain, and to join Hastings there, instead of you, whilst you take his place with folks. Yes, I understand. But how will Tony reach Saint-Germain? La, my good fellow, said Blakeney gaily, you may safely trust Tony to go where I sent him. Do you but do as I tell you, and leave him to look after himself. And now, he added, speaking more earnestly, 
The sooner you get out of Paris, the better it will be for us all. As you see, I am only sending you to La Villette, because it is not so far, but that I can keep in personal touch with you. Remain close to the gates for an hour after nightfall. I will contrive before they close to bring you news of Mademoiselle Lange. Armand said no more. The sense of shame in him deepened with every word spoken by his chief. He felt how untrustworthy he had been, how undeserving of the selfless devotion which Percy was showing him even now. The words of gratitude died on his lips. He knew that they would be unwelcome. These Englishmen were so devoid of sentiment, he thought, and his brother-in-law, with all his unselfish and heroic deeds, was, he felt, absolutely callous in matters of the heart. But Armand was a noble-minded man and with the true sporting instinct in him, despite the fact that he was a creature of nerves, highly strung and imaginative. He could give ungrudging admiration to his chief, even whilst giving himself up entirely to the sentiment for Jean. He tried to imbue himself with the same spirit that actuated my Lord Tony and the others of the League. How gladly would he have chaffed and made senseless schoolboy jokes like those which, in face of their hazardous enterprise and the dangers which they all ran, had horrified him so much last night! but somehow he knew that jokes from him would not ring true. How could he smile, when his heart was brimming over with his love for Jeanne, and with solicitude on her account? He felt that Percy was regarding him with a kind of indulgent amusement. There was a look of suppressed merriment in the depths of those lazy blue eyes. So he braced up his nerves, trying his best to look cool and unconcerned, but he could not altogether hide from his friend the burning anxiety which was threatening to break his heart. "'I have given you my word, Armand,' said Blakeney, in answer to the unspoken prayer. "'Can you two try and trust me, as the others do?' Then, with sudden transition, he pointed to the map behind him. "'Remember the gate of Villette, and the corner by the towpath. Join folks as soon as may be, and send Tony on his way, and wait for news of Mademoiselle Lange some time to-night.' "'God bless you, Percy,' said Armand, involuntarily. "'Good-bye. Good-bye, my dear fellow.' Slip on your disguise as quickly as you can, and be out of the house in a quarter of an hour." He accompanied Armand through the ante-room, and finally closed the door on him. Then he went back to his room, and walked up to the window, which he threw open to the humid morning air. Now that he was alone, the look of trouble on his face deepened to a dark, anxious frown, and as he looked out across the river, a sigh of bitter impatience and disappointment escaped his lips. End of chapter 14